0: Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com.
1: This is Fantasy Football Today from CBS Sports. Here we go! Email us at FantasyFootball at CBSi.com. Here we go! It's time to dominate your fantasy league. Let's go! Now, here's some combination of ads.
2: Can you believe we are less than one week away from the NFL draft? That's right. Next week at this time we'll be breaking down the first round, or maybe already have broken down the first round and talking about actual players in the NFL as opposed to previewing the NFL draft like we're going to do here with the wide receivers. Welcome to Fantasy Football Today. I'm Jamie Eisenberg with Dave Richard, Heath Cummings, and Ben Gretch. Adam Azer still on his sabbatical. We don't know we don't know when he's going to return. And probably some of us don't care. In any event, let's talk about the uh, rookie wide receivers coming into the NFL. It's going to be one of our big topics for today. And I got a question for you guys. If the Eagles move up from number 21 in the first round to draft your favorite wide receiver prospect, who is that player and where would you be drafting them in 2020? Ben, I'll start with you.
3: Uh, for me, it's C.D. Lamb. And... In redraft, I'd probably be drafting him around the fifth or sixth round. There's a lot of good young receiver talent, so I don't know exactly how high I would get him right away in redraft. In dynasty, I'd be a lot more excited about
4: him. Dave? Lamb, I think I'd probably say round six. I'm trying to like reconfigure my rankings in my mind to see. Yeah, I, I think I would take him. Assuming that Debo gets company in San Francisco, round six. Eve?
0: Yeah, I would, like, Lamb, I think, is the best, so I'll say him. I was looking at my projections and, like, I've got AJ Brown at 22nd, Terry McLaurin 23rd, Michael Gallup 24th. I think he'd be right in that range, behind Brown for sure. So, borderline number two wide receiver, it's possible he'd be in the top
2: 24. I just wonder, though, if, if it's not Philadelphia, and we see, or maybe it's not Lamb, and we see Philadelphia take Henry Ruggs, because you get a lot of buzz about Ruggs being maybe the first receiver off the board. Mm-hmm. And it seems as if fantasy wise, the consensus is Lamb or Judy and Ruggs is the third option. And I wonder if Ruggs goes to Philadelphia, which could easily happen. And then we're like, uh oh, 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 OK. uh well, yeah. All right. Maybe. Sure. I'll take him. I mean, any
4: receiver would have a chance in Philadelphia.
2: Any it's one just, of them. It's but just a it, matter I don't
4: think I'd be as excited to take
2: Rugs in six. I think it's just a matter of what they do with the rest of the guys there, right? That's the conversation we've been having for a few weeks now is, is Jeffrey back? Is Deshaun healthy? Yep. You know, what's what's Ward's role? What's Arcega Whiteside's role? If it's Rugs, Ben, would you be as excited?
3: I wouldn't. I was going to say, and, and Jeffrey and, and Jackson both have so much dead money that they can't cut them, basically. They have to swing a trade somehow, so... I'm kind of expecting that they won't be able to do that, that, that no one will take on those deals and that those guys will be back. Um, which means for me, if it's someone like Ruggs, he probably winds up behind Jackson in that field stretcher role and playing when Jackson's hurt. And I don't know that he's necessarily a consistent producer because you probably do still have Jeffrey on the field in both tight ends. Um, but whereas if it's someone like, like Lamb, who I think could be a higher target player. There's there's more potential for him to to really put up good numbers.
2: Right. And then we see Lamb or Judy maybe with the Raiders, maybe with the Jets, maybe with the 49ers, as Dave alluded to with Debo Samuel. Keith, if that's the case, would you be more excited about those guys as opposed to Ruggs in Philadelphia?
0: Yeah, I mean the, and I think that we talked about it on a podcast last week. One of the problems with Judy and Lamb for redraft specifically is we've seen them a lot of times mock two teams that are not the Eagles that either don't have as much opportunity or we wouldn't be as excited because of the quarterback or the offensive situation and on the jets, on the Raiders, on the 49ers. Those guys aren't getting anywhere close to my top 25 wide receivers.
2: Yeah. I'm, I'm so curious to see as much as those teams that need really, in some cases, a number one wide receiver with the teams at the back end of the first round, or maybe what a team does in the second or third round to sort of get that second guy like green Bay, for example, Minnesota is going to be interesting. Baltimore is going to be interesting. You know, it's going to be fun to see what some of those teams do at the end of round one, maybe as much so as some of these teams like the Jets, like the Raiders, who don't exactly have great quarterback situations. Getting a number two guy for Aaron Rodgers might be better than the number one guy for the Jets, depending on who that wide receiver may or may not be. All right. So we got a lot of fun stuff coming up. Get ready for the debut of the FFT Twitch channel on Tuesday, April 21st at 7 p.m. Eastern. Myself, Dave, Heath, and Adam will be broadcasting live from our new Twitch channel. We'll have NFL draft preview segments breaking down each position group throughout the entire hour. We'll be answering your chat questions as well. Go to twitch.tv slash FFToday or search ff today on Twitch to follow us ahead of time. We'll also put the Twitch link in the description of this episode. You can also join our Facebook group. Search Fantasy Football Today on Facebook or click the link in the description to chat with the FFT team and other fantasy fans. Plenty of talk about Keepers Dynasty now, and our buddy Adam Azer is giving away a spot in the podcast listener league next week so you want to check out our facebook group now we also have pre-draft and nfl draft coverage coming up next week all week on cbs sports hq tuesday and wednesday at 3 p.m eastern and thursday and friday at 4 p.m eastern tuesday we're going to break down the running backs we're going to talk to uh boston college running back aj Dillon. wednesday we're going to look at the uh, wide receivers thursday we're going to look at the quarterbacks and preview round one and then on friday we're going to react to the first round and also look ahead to the rest of the week. So check out CBS Sports HQ. All the best sports coverage you could find on CBS Sports HQ. All right, so we're talking about the uh, rookie wide receivers here. I think we're going to break down the uh, Startup Dynasty mock draft that we did yesterday. That'll be up to Adam which mock draft we review for Mock Draft Monday. But I took a look at the wide receivers in that draft, and they basically went what you can probably consider – As the top 10 rookies coming into the NFL draft, I thought that's kind of the order that they went. You had CeeDee Lamb in round five, Jerry Judy in round six, Henry Ruggs in round eight, Justin Jefferson in round nine, Jalen Rager round nine as well, Denzel Mims round 10, T. Higgins round 11, uh, Chenault in round 11 as well. Ben took him. He's the only one of the top 10 rookie wide receivers that was drafted to any of us. Uh I'm sorry. I I take that back. He was the first one. I took Brandon Ayuk in round 12 and then Michael Pittman Jr went in round 13. So those are correct me if I'm wrong. Is there anybody outside of that group you think that is going to be looked at right now as the top 10 wide receivers?
0: Nope. No, I don't I don't
4: think. Uh Brian Edwards is one guy that possibly could. Edwards is one. KJ Hamler if he lands in the right spot would be another. No, I'm I'm,
2: I'm talking right now, right now. Obviously it'll change when we get past the draft, I see. but I, I, no, I think, I think that's I think that's that's a good top ten. Right? Yeah. Maybe maybe Claypool, maybe Brian Edwards, Tyler Johnson's another one. You know, there, there's there's a few guys that I think you know depending on what rank list you look at now. But I think those are the the top ten. Forget about the order. The, the, those seem to be the top ten. So when you're looking at this group, Dave, I'll start with you. Who has the most long-term upside of these rookie wide receivers? Is it just Lamb and we move on, or is there anybody else? I think
4: Judy has long-term upside as well. I think that the, both of those guys can be anywhere from uh, top 24 to top 10 fantasy receivers in any given year. I don't think that either one can necessarily be consistent. It really depends where they end up. You know, a CB lamb in Philadelphia playing with Carson Wentz for the next eight years could be really good for fantasy and maybe Jerry Judy. If, if the Raiders hang on to John Gruden, uh, I, I do like the idea of Judy playing in that style of West coast offense. I think he'd be really good. I'd rather see Judy in Vegas than C.D. Lamb in Vegas as an example. I think that he's a better fit for what John Gruden likes to do with his offense. I think those guys are, are the, really the only two guys. You can make the case for Jefferson. If, if he's just going to be a polished slot receiver for his entire career and he gets you know the Edelman treatment and a ton of targets every single year, then you can make the case for him as well. But it, it comes down to a team actually using him that way. It, it To me, it really feels like it's, it's a deep class of receivers, but it's not
2: necessarily top-heavy. I guess... The, the question, Heath, I'll ask you this because I, I know we talked about rugs a little bit. You're getting a lot of Tyreek Hill comparisons. Do you see that? Um,
0: I think it's possible. Like we said, the same the same thing we said about Miko Hartman last year, partially because he yeah. went to the Chiefs, but also because like he could do some of those things and had that incredible speed. And it's just a good reminder that guys that need to fix a lot of things but have the blazing speed don't often turn into Tyreek Hill. They turn into other things sometimes. Sometimes they turn into Ted Ginn. Sometimes they flame out and I think Ruggs could have upside. I like There's one guy Dave didn't mention that I don't think he has the same upside as Lamb probably, but I am like the more that I look at him, the more that I'm falling in love with him is Denzel Mims and part of it's because I just got Matt Waldman's draft guide and he likes him quite a bit. Part of it, I mean, you look at the player profiler his best comp is Chris Godwin. It's a guy who was awesome as a 20-year-old sophomore and has continued to be good. He's big. He's really, really fast. I would not be that surprised if Denzel Mims was the best rookie this year and the best rookie for the next five years.
2: He could end up in Green Bay, and that's a fun pairing of him and Devontae Adams if, in fact, that does come to fruition. And he could be a guy that the Eagles maybe look at at 21, you know, if all the I think there's a pretty consensus. If you if you talk to people around the NFL, um, and I've I've been spending some time, you know, reaching out to you know some guys that cover the league, and there's there's a pretty consensus group that think the first four receivers are locked into the first round. The three that we always talk about in Jefferson, and then it's after that it's going to depend on what the team needs are, who's looking at it, you know, who has early picks in the second round, who's going to look to maybe trade up into the early part of the second round. But those four guys are locked into the first round, and then it's can you get two or three other guys in the back end of the first round, and that's where Mims, where Rager, where T. Higgins, you know some of these guys come in and who you're falling in love with, but uh, I I think you're going to see the same thing. Ben, I'll ask you the same one. Who has the most long-term upside? Give give me somebody outside of the the top three. Who has the most long, or top four, long-term upside?
3: Yeah, my favorite from that, that next group is probably LaVisca Chenault, who did a lot of things at Colorado, wasn't just a really productive receiver at a young age, but also they started lining him up in the wildcat a ton. He had uh, I think something like seven rushing touchdowns this final season. Uh, really productive guy with the ball in his hands. And w- when we when we look at, or excuse me, seven rushing touchdowns over his career, he had five in his, in his uh, sophomore year, two more in his junior year, uh, and also caught 10 touchdowns. But when we look at things like um, market share and, and how productive, what what share of his offense he, he accounted for, Chenault really pops, and he was a guy who broke out at a young age and looks really good in a lot of models. He's kind of the comparable to. There's not really a great one this year, but he's kind of the comparable to the the AJ Brown of last year.
2: Uh, yeah, be yeah, a fun 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 comp and shocking that you're the one that would bring that up. I'm very <laughs> surprised <laughs> to, uh, to, to hear that. Um, he's
4: also one of those not too tall but definitely big receivers. You know, like kind of built like a like a thicker running back.
2: Yeah, he's over 220 pounds. 220. Right. 20, right? Um, uh,
4: he's just over six foot, six uh, six and a half feet.
2: Okay. The Vesca and all this. Um, Ben, before we move on, uh, tell us some of the things you look for when you're looking at a wide receiver and how they translate some of their college numbers or college scenarios to NFL production.
3: Yeah. So there's like three main things when, when I'm looking at, um, the, the numbers side of it. And I, you know, I totally get the, the film side of it. I'm going to be more of a numbers guy. I'm looking for early production. I talk about that a lot with guys like AJ Brown and DJ Moore. Um, and then I'm looking at to define that production, it's uh it's gonna be in the context of the team. So there's a lot of different ways you can do that. You can look at receiving yards per team pass attempt. Um, you can look at just what percentage of the receiving yards. We talk about it as we call it market share or share of the of the yardage. Uh one good example of of why you would do that is Justin Jefferson this year. He had eight hundred and fifty yards in a sophomore year, he had fifteen hundred in his junior year. Um, But because LSU threw for under 3,000 yards in his sophomore year and then threw for over 6,000, they more than doubled their team passing yardage in one year, he actually had a higher percentage of the team's offense in his sophomore year. And and I think that's, you know, it it, doesn't mean that he wasn't as good as junior year. He was amazing. He had 111 catches, 1,500 yards, 18 touchdowns. But it does mean, I think it's a good case that that sophomore year was a little underrated. He had 850 yards in a, in a poor passing offense. And it, it showed that if he was in a better situation, like he was a junior year, he had that kind of upside. And so that's, that's why I like Chanel. And, and he's a really good example of that market share metric. His sophomore year at Colorado, they didn't throw for a ton of yards. He had 46% of their yards, almost half of their receiving yardage it, it, with a, a 1,011 yard season. It wasn't a, uh, an eye-popping season, uh, but for a 20-year-old sophomore to dominate the production for his team in a in a Power Five conference, I know the Pac-12 isn't you know the SEC or anything, but it, it speaks really well to his long-term production. So you you want to you want to see that production early. You want to see it as a a, a measure of the team's offense because some of these offenses can just put up such gaudy numbers in in college. And then the third thing you want to look at is, is a little bit just completely off the wall, but it's were they an early declare or not? And there's, you know, a lot of hypotheses about why that would be helpful. But the reality is the data shows that guys that declare early before their eligibility is up have a much higher hit rate. Um, and, you know, the way I think about it is it's, it probably is an indication that they're getting good feedback from scouts and, and they're, they're guys the NFL is going to like.
2: And there's also probably you're
3: younger.
2: I was gonna say there's also an age factor to it. Is right. that you know they, they may not stand out as their rookie year, but by the time they hit their third year, which is when typically you see the best out of wide receivers to start to blossom in their careers, they're a little bit younger than some of the elder guys. It may give you a little bit of trepidation potentially uh, with somebody like Van Jefferson, who's a little bit older. I like him, but you know he's uh, he's on the older side of things for some of the prospects, so it could be an interesting comparison there. All right, so. Uh, I want to read a tweet from somebody who I respect and uh, and, and enjoy talking to a lot. Uh, this was uh, about an hour ago. Haven't even settled on top five yet, but pretty sure it includes A.J. Brown, Terry McLaurin, D.K. Metcalf, and C.D. Lamb. And that's from Heath Cummings saying he's trying to rank the wide receivers from the past two classes for dynasty purposes. So last year's rookie class, we had a lot of great wide receivers. Uh, it wasn't the two we were expecting at this point. Last year, we were talking about Marquise Brown and Nikhil Harry. They were the first two receivers off the board. And then we saw Terry McLaurin, AJ Brown, um, Debo Samuel, DK Metcalf. You know, it was a fun rookie season for some of the guys that were, we thought had a chance, but maybe not to the level of the first round guys. So when you look at Lamb, you look at Judy, you look at Ruggs, you look at Jefferson. Again, I'll run down the, the, the top 10 quickly of those guys. Uh, that being the top four, Mims, uh, T Higgins, Jalen Rager, uh, Chanel, Ayub, Pittman, you know, there's, there's a, Brian Edwards, you want to throw him in there um, as well. Hamler, you know some of the guys that are at the top, but how do the rookies now compare to the the incoming rookies now compared to the 2019 class? Heath, what do you uh, what do you see from these guys in terms of you know where they could stack up fantasy wise?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think looking at it from the fantasy perspective, I would have to put all of them for now behind the top three from last year's class just because, like what you said about who we thought the top guy was going into last year, or the top two guys going into last year and, and where their value would fall right now. Um, it's crushed. And so at least for Harry, um, maybe not quite as much for Marquise Brown, but still I wouldn't put him in the top three. So that's a, a fall. So I, I would not put any of this year's class of receivers ahead of AJ Brown, DK Metcalf or Terry McLaurin. Um, I think you can make a pretty good case for lamb and maybe Judy as well in the top five. I, I would put, uh, Mims, Jefferson, and Ruggs as borderline top 10 guys or right towards the end of the top 10. Um, I think there are, like, if you're doing a top 20, there are probably more guys from this class than there are from last year's class. But the top five is going to be mostly guys from last year's class.
2: Dave, if CD Lamb goes to the Jets and the 49ers do not draft a wide receiver, who would you rather have? CD Lamb with the Jets or Debo Samuel with the 49ers?
4: In a dynasty, I think I'd probably take Lamb still.
2: What about Reject?
4: Debo. Because I, I think Lamb does have good long-term potential. I figure the Jets at some point will get rid of Adam Gase, and they'll they'll get back on track offensively where they're good. And Lamb could be a target hog even as soon as this year if he ends up with the Jets. It's possible because who else is going to? Crowder will get his, and after that, I don't know. I, I think that you could see, see Lamb get close to... 105 targets with the jets what he does with them is a different story i don't know if Debo can get to 105 if he's the main target in san fran
2: then if jerry judy goes to the raiders would you rather have jerry judy with the raiders or dk metcalf with the seahawks same thing dynasty and then redraft
3: i'd probably have them close i think i'd have metcalf higher just because we've already seen metcalf hit and, and I feel pretty confident that he's going to be productive with Russell Wilson for the next several seasons. And we don't necessarily know for Judy. Judy has a, a couple of red flags. You know, I was talking about the team production metrics and it's, uh, it's hard to control for teammates being really good. That's one of the things that those types of models will miss. And, and Judy played with rugs and he played with Devonta Smith, who's still at Alabama. And he never really had a really high percentage of their teams receiving. Value, But he is a young prospect. He is an early declare. He has some of those things going for him. I still think very highly of him. Um, I think you have to give him a little boost uh, against his numbers, knowing that he was playing with some really good players. Uh, But I think there there are just enough question marks that I'd rather have a guy that I've already seen do it in DK. All
2: right, same question, Heath. Henry Ruggs goes to the Eagles, and they trade up to get him, take him first. Would you rather have Ruggs or... Probably too easy, but I'll say McLaurin.
0: I'm going to stick with McLaurin. Like, I in my initial ranking of these two classes, I think I had Ruggs 10th. Um, actually, like the one that would be difficult for me would be with Marquise Brown. All right, so um, let's do that one, Marquise Brown or Ruggs? I, I if Rugs was, if the Eagles traded up for him and took him as a first wide receiver, I'd probably move Ruggs ahead of Marquise Brown. Right now, I've got Marquise Brown just a little bit ahead of Ruggs. There's some, a lot, obviously, a lot of similarities there. Um, I I think Marquise Brown's going to be better than he was as a rookie, but if the Eagles put that type of investment in Rugs, then he'd probably be ahead of Brown for me.
2: I'm so curious to see if there's going to be a team that surprises us. You know, you heard Steve Kime got asked a lot, the Cardinals general manager, about would they take a wide receiver at eight because they were rumored to be looking at wide receiver before the Hopkins trade, and mm-hmm. then he was still asked about it. Would they Would they consider adding to their arsenal? I think it'd be dumb just what they needed the offensive line, uh, some defensive uh, issues as well, but. Man, that'd be, that'd be crazy if they were to take a receiver at eight. And then you have the Jaguars at nine. You know, that's certainly a position they could look at with two picks in the first round. Um, again, it would be a surprise, but everybody kind of thinks the, the draft run starts at 11 with the Jets. And that's where we're going to kind of see some teams. But, you know, if, if the Eagles do move up, maybe the Packers, you know, they, they fall in love with somebody, they move up. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see who does make that move. Maybe aggressively to target one of those wide receivers. We do hope it's Philadelphia. I think we're all consensus wise thinking we hope it's CD Lamb, but, uh, that'll be a, a, a fun, a fun look. Um, as you talk about, I, I think you alluded to this, um, Ben with Chennault, the, the, the slot guys. Um, Jefferson, I like, clearly is, is the best. He had, uh, 200 snaps in the slot for LSU last year. Uh, Chennault, who are some of the other slot guys that we're looking at? Ben, go ahead.
3: Oh, um, I mean, I, 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 like, both Chenault and Jefferson are guys who played outside and in the slot. Jefferson played outside in that sophomore year that I referenced and then kicked into the slot. And I believe Chenault did the same. He, I think he played on the outside as a sophomore and kicked in. He lined there's, up everywhere. She, yeah, Chenault yeah. went everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think there's a, just like, I, I, one of the things with this class is I think there's a lot of versatility and it's one of the things I think we're seeing with, um, the 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 future of the NFL is just that wide receivers need to be able to play in multiple spots because I'm glad they, I'm
2: glad you said it. I don't want, I want to stop you right there because I spoke to Devontae Adams last year at the Pro Bowl and I said I was talking about Julian Edelman because so I was doing a story previewing the Super Bowl between the Patriots and um what they played two years ago the Rams um Patriots and Rams and about Edelman and it was I a said, forgettable Super Bowl it, it was um. And I said to him, like, you know, is Edelman kind of considered the best slot guy? And he's like, yeah, I, I guess. He's like, but I play in the slot. Hopkins plays in the slot. You know, Julio will line up in the slot sometimes. You know, he was, he was kind of, you know, looking at. It. And then when I spoke to Chris Harris, the same thing, he's like, you know, everybody talks about me playing the, the best guys in the slot. It's because the best guys go in the slot. You know, it's, it's not like yeah. I'm just, just lining up in the slot and playing those guys. And so I'm glad you brought that up, uh, that, you know, we're going to see more and more teams move guys around so yeah
3: michael thomas is considered right top top receiver in the league and he wouldn't have been considered a slot receiver coming out but that's where he plays i mean that's that's what he does all right so
2: lamb and judy play a bunch in the slot uh right the guys that i that i looked at you know just based on some of the the snap counts and where they they have um lined up in college mostly in 2019 jefferson KJ Hamler, Chenault, and Lynn Bowden from Kentucky, who I think yeah is Bowden a, that, is
3: who I was going to mention
2: as well. Heath of those four guys, which one stands out? i, I, I we'll throw out Jefferson of, of Hamler, Chenault, and Bowden. Which which of those three guys stand out to you if they do get an opportunity to be slot receivers next year?
0: Yeah, I think Chenault would be the one. I agree with most of things Ben said about him earlier, and I don't I don't really love
2: Hamler. I think Bowden's more interesting depending on where he goes, but Chenault would be the one. I think Handler's gonna get a little bit of a bad rap until we see where he ends up just because he didn't run at the combine, people think maybe he's hurt. Um, you know, he did uh some things, you know, with the virtual pro days um that teams seem to like. Uh but he's another one of those guys. You know, he's fast and we'll see if he could do some some different things. All right, so I'm gonna give you the second group of receivers that were drafted in that dynasty startup mock draft, and, and I wanna get your favorite of this group. Uh, so we had after Michael Pittman in round 13, um, I'll, I'll run down the, the first 10 guys real quickly. So it was Lamb, Judy, Ruggs, Jefferson, Rager, Mims, Hagen, Chennault, Ayuk, and Pittman. And then the next group of guys. Here we go. Brian Edwards, Tyler Johnson, Chase Claypool, Van Jefferson, Antonio Gandy-Golden, K.J. Hamler, Devin DuVarne, uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Lynn Bowden, and Isaiah Hod- Hodgins. I think it's Hodgins. Um, and I'm sorry if I mispronounce any of those names. Uh, I'll give you them again: Edwards, Johnson, Claypool, Van Jefferson, Gandy, Golden, Hamler, Duvernay, Peoples, Jones, Bowden, and Hodgins. Who's your favorite of that group, Dave?
4: I think my favorite is Claypool, but it, it's more so as a prospect than anything else because they're just there. There are a handful of big guys in this draft class, but he's a giant. He's over six foot four. He's two twenty nine. He runs a great forty. He has huge hands. Uh, it, all reports say he's got high character. He's definitely raw. He's definitely not a great route runner, but it's that size that makes him unique. And it's a close call for me between him and Brian Edwards, because I really like Edwards a lot, too. Uh, Heath, how about you?
0: um i'll go with brian edwards and again another one of the guys kind of like what ben talked about that maybe wasn't on a team that threw the ball a ton but when you look at his uh, dominator score he absolutely dominated targets at south carolina and was good pretty much from the very get-go in his college career so uh, i'll say edwards ben
3: yeah i'll go to the last guy you named isaiah hodgins from oregon state he's six four, not the greatest athlete but productive again in terms of team volume was productive early, is an early declare. He's kind of a, a, my, one of my favorite underrated sleepers in the class. And, you know, one of the biggest things on top of all of these other metrics is, is just draft position, draft capital, whether teams are willing to invest a high pick on the guy, because they're the teams that then decide whether these guys actually get a real chance and play. Um, so Hodgins is a guy, you know, he, he goes in the fifth or sixth round. I'm, I, I'm going to probably have to just give up on that love. But if someone's willing to take him in the third, you know, that's, he starts to look a little bit like Kenny Galladay, who was a similar, like, fifth or sixth projection, who the Lions jumped all the way to the third and surprised some people. And then it's like, ooh, because this guy's numbers are good. Now that somebody gave him a third round pick, I really like this guy.
2: Yeah, uh, I'm excited about Antonio Gandy Golden. I took him in that draft. I, I took him in our rookie draft as well. I, I, uh, I'm i looking forward to see what the receiver from Liberty does. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what team gives him a shot. I think we could see him maybe go in the third round. You're hearing some buzz about him. So he's somebody I'm really excited about. But we're going to find out a lot more about these guys once we get, obviously, to next week in the NFL draft. We'll have a full breakdown of the NFL draft. Um, I think we're going to do it for the first time ever right after the first round on Thursday. We'll have our podcast, uh, obviously, get you ready Thursday and Friday for uh, what's happened in the draft and what will happen um, for the rest of the week, I think maybe Friday night as well. Some news and notes around the NFL. The Buccaneers are looking to trade O.J. Howard. That's a report. We'll oh, see we've if heard that comes before. to fruition. Well, we heard it during the season last year. Uh, Bruce Arians, not the most fond coach of his tight ends. Uh, give me a one-word answer. Best landing spot for O.J. Howard. Heath? Indianapolis. Dave? Green Bay. Sorry, that was two words. <laughs> uh, ben?
3: Uh Patriots.
2: Even without a quarterback right now?
3: Yeah, I think so. I, I I trust Belichick's ability to to scheme talent. Dalton's mm-hmm. been good throwing to his tight ends before.
2: Yeah, they can they can afford Dalton. Uh, I, I took I traded Dalton. We we've been doing these mock draft Mondays on CBS Sports HQ, and I traded a third round pick for the Patriots for Andy Dalton, and then I got yelled at post draft by uh, Pete Prisco saying they don't have the cap room right now to trade for Andy Dalton. I was like, Pete, it's a fake mock. (laughs) You could always find the cap space. I'm with Dave. I'd like to see Green Bay maybe make a move to get O.J. Howard. Uh, Joe Mixon is prepared for a holdout if he and the Bengals can't agree to a long-term deal. Um, Heath, you're already the low guy on Joe Mixon. Would this make you even more concerned about drafting him if we're drafting right now?
0: Yeah, because they've already got Gio Bernard, so uh, they can afford to just uh, let (laughs) him— Hold out? Yeah, no, I think absolutely. I was under the impression, and I, I don't know how I got this impression, maybe you guys can correct me, that the new uh, CBA makes holdouts much more painful for players and much less likely to drag into the season. So We've never, I,
2: seen, we've never seen a running back shy away from making things painful for a holdout.
0: Right, right. So yeah, I mean, if he makes that type of decision, it,
4: it would be worrisome. I think you're right, Heath. I don't know exactly what the new rule is.
2: Yeah, it, it does make it. I, I'm, I'm with you too. I don't know exactly what the penalty is, but it makes it worse. That's a homework assignment for me. Anybody downgrading Joe Mixon yet?
3: Me, me. I've been taking him in a lot of our mocks. Um, I, I think if he's playing, he's a little bit underrated. I mean, he hasn't been very good on the touchdown front, but back to back 1400 total yard seasons is, you know, really impressive in a bad offense. And if he's, his offense gets better, he could be really good if he's playing.
0: Isn't he like a borderline trapback?
3: He is a little bit, but he has enough receiving production. I think that um, I, I don't know. I, I see some upside there in a different offense with a different quarterback. You know, Zach Taylor's offense wasn't really great last year, and we you know we saw a lot of Ryan Finley on top of Dalton struggling. But I think you know new offense. Joe Burrow in there, things could could dramatically improve for Mixon in, in terms of his touch splits and his touchdown potential. But obviously, this this holdout talk now, I'm going to be moving him back again.
2: Well, I I think you wait to see what happens. You know, I mean if. You know, we get the training companies to hold out, then it's a totally different conversation. You know, I mean, I'm still drafting him in the same spot I would be right now. You know, yeah, I've been
3: taking him like early second, so right. I, yep. I can't take him there now.
2: Yeah, and it, it's funny because, you know, they're we'll see what they do with their draft overall, but they're really getting two first round picks for the first time. They're going to get the quarterback and they're going to get Jonah Williams, so they didn't have, you know, and that's going to be a big piece of this offensive line. They're getting, uh, you know, not a Hall of Fame wide receiver, but a guy who is in that two tiers down. You know A.J. Green back is certainly going to help having him back on the field. So, yeah, this offense should get a boost. And a flip of the podcast you guys did earlier this week, second-half performers. Joe Mixon's second half was a lot better than his first half. He really picked things up in the second half, maybe taking hold of that Zach Taylor offense. The greatest general manager ever in the NFL, Bill O'Brien, says that David Johnson is a three-down back. I wish we had Chris Towers on this podcast because he takes David Johnson in every single one of our mock drafts. I don't think it's a surprise to hear David Johnson's three down back. Adam Mazur talks all the time about how the Texans don't throw to their running backs to the level that we would like. Does this excite you any more about David Johnson?
0: I, I thought that they just left two letters out. I thought he said he was a third down back because he hasn't been very good <laughs> running the ball for like three years. Um, no, it, it – Listen, my concern about David Johnson is that they already have Duke Johnson there, who's really good at pass catching. And if David Johnson didn't have pass catching, he wasn't going to be a top 25 running back. Now it makes me a little more interested in him in PPR, but it kind of sucks for Duke Johnson.
4: I'm getting, I'm getting less interested in David Johnson. Uh, I wrote about him this week. Texans have, Texans running backs have averaged 54 catches per season with Deshaun Watson under center. Heath mentioned it. Duke is still there. I went back and watched David Johnson. He is slow to gather himself when he stops his momentum running the ball. So when, when, when the offensive line makes a lane for him, he can hit that lane solidly. I don't think he's necessarily a burner anymore. But if he's got to stop, he is a big, fat target. And not really fat. He's a big, strong target. But it's a big target that defenders can hit and knock down. And that's a, it's a big reason why his rushing average has been what it's been.
2: It's going to be really interesting to see what they do, how they use him and how this receiving core, you know, sort of factors in as well. Now that they have Brandon cooks and maybe in the market to move on from Kenny stills. O'Brien also said during his meeting with the media that will fuller is doing great from his core muscle surgery. Um, Ben, you took fuller in that dynasty startup draft. You like will fuller still, I think with the Brandon cooks trade, I mean another health question once again.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, well, I, I think Heath could tell you just by never actually talking about Will Fuller, but comparing him to other underrated players that, that Fuller is not as good as I like him because he, he'll just, he'll compare him to Kenny Stills and, and Brandon Cooks who are, you know, sneaky productive, but, um, I, it, Fuller is good. That's just the bottom line. He had the, the best single game fantasy, uh, total of any player in a, in a game last year, which isn't the only positive note on his profile but he he's been productive since he came in he's got to stay healthy that's that's the whole story
2: oof okay. gotta stay healthy I think <laughs> I think he has two that. games
0: over 70 yards in like his last 16 <laughs> <laughs>
4: uh <laughs> but he gets those chances every week you just have to hope he cashes in on those deep ball chances that's that's the whole until we see his target volume consistently stay up that You've got to look at him as a big play receiver who's going to be better for best ball than for anything else.
2: Matt Rule also says he wants to avoid having Christian McCaffrey on the field for every snap. I'll believe it when I see it. And Matt Breida has signed his one-year tender offer, meaning he's going to be with the 49ers, barring trade. Yay, four running backs for the 49ers going (laughs) into 2020. Let's talk a little best ball. So, Heath, tell us what best ball is. Tell the people what best ball is for those of us who do not play in best ball. I'm not saying me, but for the people who do not play in best ball leagues.
0: There are – like, best ball is um, generally something right around a 20-round draft where you um, draft your team and forget it. I believe it's been called draft masters in some places in the past. Um, but basically, you're going to draft two or three quarterbacks, probably five to six running backs, five to six receivers, two or three tight ends – Sometimes defenses, but really shouldn't be, and, and never kickers. Hashtag never kickers. Um, and then you don't have to set your lineup. You don't make any adds or drops for the entire year, and there's no head-to-head matchups. But after Week 16, the team that has scored the most points, and points are basically determined by um, – the guys each week that score the most points are your starters for that week at each position. Most of them are one-quarterback leagues with two running backs, three receivers, a tight end, and a flex. Maybe you have two flexes. Um, I really, really enjoy it. And it's like if you get frustrated by, oh, I'm always the highest-scoring team that doesn't make the playoffs, you don't have to worry about that here. The whole point is just scoring points.
2: What is your strategy for best ball, Ben?
3: Um, yeah, I think you, like he just described it. You don't have to make lineup decisions. So consistency not only becomes overrated, it, it becomes kind of something I I look to actively fade because you have the depth. You're, you're looking for peak weeks. You're looking for the Will Fuller types that receiver. I want downfield receivers that can, that can have big plays and, and, uh, big weeks, spike weeks. Cause every time they do, they're going to be my lineup. And every time they don't, I'll, I'll likely have someone else who's producing. Um, John Ross is another one we've talked about is a great best ball guy this year in later rounds. It, it's a, a format where you definitely want to win at quarterback too, because one of the best things about the top quarterbacks is their consistency. But later quarterbacks can have spike weeks where they throw four or five touchdowns. And if you have three and you don't have to choose which one you're starting, it's really easy to um, get similar production, not easy, but similar production to some of the higher end quarterbacks um by taking the top week out of each of those three over the course of a season. So you want to think about that. You want to think about the positions that have spike week potential and, and, and build a, a, a group on your roster that gives you that upside every week without having to pay for it. I, in best ball, I'm more likely to take the, the stud running backs early and then be deep at receiver and wait for quarterbacks and, and also kind of wait on, on tight ends and get multiple options there.
0: I, I was going to say like, Basically, all of the things you heard from Ben last year during the season about his strategy in redraft, I would presume that his best ball strategy is just that on steroids. Because a lot of times when he's talking about how your floor doesn't matter and it's all about upside, I'm thinking, yeah, I I agree with that in best ball. Um, But a little bit different in redraft. So, yeah, a lot of things he said throughout last year are, are exactly the way I feel about best ball.
2: So let's take a look at some of the average draft position for the rookies so far. And again, this will change in a week. But right now, the best ball ADP, John and Taylor, is going first in the fourth round, 47th overall. DeAndre Swift in the seventh round, 79th overall. J.K. Dobbins, ninth round, 100th overall. Cam Akers, 10th round. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in the 10th round as well. Akers is at 117, and Edwards-Hilaire is at 119. Dave, are you surprised right now, given the fact that we don't know which of these teams are going to take any of these running backs, and Dobbins could be in a better spot than Taylor? Akers could be in the best spot, or Edwards-Hilaire could be in the best spot. Are you surprised that there's a three-round gap between Taylor and Swift and a five-round gap between Taylor and Dobbins?
4: I'm stunned Taylor's going as a top 50 pick because there's a chance he's not even a first round pick. Are we sure he's going to end up in a spot where he's going to be uh, a feature back, a potential three well, down he can still, guy? He can,
2: still, he can still be that in the second round. I mean, that's not out of their own possibility. I know, but
4: usually, I, I guess, I guess to a degree, you're right that if he were, if he was going to be a consensus top 10 pick in the NFL draft, he'd go a lot sooner than round four here. So I, I'm, I'm just a little bit surprised by it. Maybe it's just more about seeing Dobbins in round nine, Edwards Elaire in round 10. I think those are fantastic values. You're not going to find those guys there. I don't care what teams they go on. You're not going to find them there in best balls, um, after the NFL draft. They're going to go at least one round higher. I, and I wouldn't be surprised if Taylor goes one round later if he ends up on, in a bad situation.
0: I, I, my, my thought process with basically every rookie on here, I was kind of shocked and that's, Kind of why it became. I wasn't planning on writing about the rookie ADP, but my thing is, I think everybody amongst these rookies has the upside to be drafted a lot higher than their downside from where they're being drafted. Dave's right. Jonathan Taylor could land in a terrible spot and go one round later. He could also go to the Buccaneers or the Chiefs and be a second-round pick, maybe a first-round pick. So I like. I think every single rookie that we talk about here, except for maybe Jalen Rager. I think could go a lot, lot higher and isn't likely to go much lower than this after the draft.
2: Do you, do you think separate conversation from best ball, but do you really think the chiefs are going to take a running back in the first round? I don't really.
3: Well, and the uh, Deandre Washington signing makes it, I think less likely. I was, uh, that,
2: that's the thing. It's like, I keep seeing uh, um, a running back, mo- like, you know, Swift mocked to the chiefs in the first round. It doesn't make any sense to me.
0: No, it I don't, mean, I wouldn't mock it that way, but I have seen it a lot. <laughs>
4: The only way it makes sense is if Washington is there as a as a safety blanket in case they don't get their guy.
3: But they have Daryl Williams and they have Darwin Thompson returning, so they now have four running backs with uh, at least some NFL uh, experience. Darwin Thompson's is limited, but Daryl Williams played well last year before he got hurt. The, I, yeah, it's, I, it's a deep group already.
0: I kind of thought the Washington thing made me think they don't think very much of Darwin Thompson. I and mean, they played Daryl Williams over him last year. He was not very productive the few times he touched the ball, and then they go sign DeAndre Washington. I Like, he was a sixth-round pick. He might barely even be on a roster by this time. He might, sure. might
4: not be on a roster this time next year. But we could almost say the same thing about every running back on the Chiefs roster right now. Two, year, well, a wait, year, Williams, two years from so now, they a might all be gone.
2: Right. Williams is a free agent after this season. D- Damian Williams is a free agent yeah. after this season. Right. He's also 28. So um, I um I just think, like they don't feel I, – I can see them taking a running back at some point. But round one just seems like a huge leap. I don't expect that to happen, though. No. Yeah.
3: I think sometimes – and I, I don't know. I don't want to speculate too much, but when people are doing mocks, you, you're like DeAndre Swift feels like a back end of the first-round guy, and where does he make the most sense? And you kind of work backwards as opposed to thinking about the team's motivations. And I, I think everything we're saying is true as well. So if you look at the Chiefs, they don't look like a team that's going to do that. We just don't know who is.
4: Does anybody think there's a surefire first-round running back in this draft class?
3: No. No, I would echo everything you said, actually, at the top there. I've been taking Jonathan Taylor in a lot of our mocks. I think he's a phenomenal prospect, but a lot of the buzz is making it sound like he might be the third running back off the board. And at that point, I'll be wrong on all these mocks. Right. I think
2: think the concern is the, the workload. You know, people look at the workload that he had at Wisconsin and, you know, also the the fumbles and and a couple of the drop Mm -hmm. situations. You know, there there's there are some things that make you a little bit concerned. I did speak to um (laughs) biasedly, uh a a Wisconsin running back, Dario Gumbowale. I think we'll air that interview at some point on our podcast. Um and I asked him, you know, I said, put on your analyst hat and tell me about Taylor and he's like uh, he's going to be the next great running back in the NFL. So take that for what it's worth, you know, a Wisconsin guy talking about a Wisconsin guy. But,
4: I, I don't uh, have to listen to a Goomba Wally say it. I can listen to Heath Cummings say it.
2: True. He's a huge Jonathan Taylor fan, which well, makes I, me
4: look closely at Taylor, to be honest with you. Oh,
2: I I, I agree with Heath. I, I love Taylor. It sounds like Ben does as well. Right. Uh, you know,
4: he's my favorite one of this group, but I don't know if he's a first-round
0: talent. Oh, I, I, I think he's better than Josh Jacobs, who was like a top-ten pick last year, yeah. right?
3: I think he was a little later, but yeah, I, I agree. He's better than Josh Jacobs.
2: Yeah, we'll see. Uh, again, which uh, which team looks at him? The rookie wide receiver, average draft position, in best ball. Jerry Judy's going in round 11 at 132 overall. C.D. Lamb, 12th round, 138. Uh, Henry Ruggs, the third, 15th round at 169. Yeah. Jalen Rieger, 16th round, 192. Justin Jefferson in the 17th round, 193. So he <laughs> sort of alludes to this. Rieger is probably the odd man out of these uh, of these four guys. Um, he tell us about the values here for these guys.
0: Well, I think like people that don't play basketball might be hearing this and saying, "Why are these receivers so low?" Well, by pick 150, most people in these drafts have taken at least two quarterbacks and maybe three, and at least two tight ends. So that these types of players get pushed down just a little bit. But I would expect, even with bad landing spots in San Francisco or with the Jets or whatever, I would expect Judy and Lamb are easily going to go in the seventh, eighth, ninth, maybe ninth round of mm-hmm. these types of drafts. So. I think there is definitely an opportunity over the last week before the draft happens here to get those guys cheap if you want to have some best ball exposure. I expect they're – and Jefferson could – if he goes to the Eagles, his his value could absolutely skyrocket.
4: Yeah, this, this makes me want to go sign up for about 20 best ball drafts before the NFL draft because I think all these guys are going to go up at least one if not four rounds. Now not in I, the case of Judy and Lamb, but I, I don't mind Rager. I like him a lot. And I think if his landing spot is good, he could be he could be impactful as a rookie. But Jefferson, if it's a PPR best ball, I almost don't care where he lands as long as he gets that playing time. He he's got a chance to make an impact right away.
3: And I just want to echo what you guys are saying about their their values going up. There's been a lot of research done on this. It's true every year. Best ball has been a very popular thing for the last five or or six mm-hmm. years. Rookie ADPs as a whole rise substantially after the NFL draft. There's just People don't, don't do well with uncertainty. They don't know where these guys are going to play. But then anyone who has even a marginally good landing spot, once we have more information about where they're playing, they start going higher. And the, really the only guys that, that don't go higher is were the ones that landed in really horrible spots. AJ Brown's an example last year. Once he landed in Tennessee, everyone said, Oh, they don't throw enough. And he actually started falling post draft, but the majority of guys rise and as a group they rise so dave's right if you if you want to draw some rookies now's the time to do it yep. you got a week go get it
2: Ben. please post a picture of your mustache <laughs> ben is rocking the best mustache ever right now it is just it's like uh i'm not going to use the, the description i should use but it's uh like like police officer sitting at a donut shop mustache like just perfect
4: grown-up man's
2: mustache grown-up man's mustache how long you been growing that thing
3: I mean, I just did J for the first like couple weeks of uh, of quarantine, and then I just you know shaved everything else and left the stash. So it's been a it's been over a month now probably. Fantastic.
2: Yeah, thank you. Heath has rocked a very good mustache before. I, I've failed miserably. Uh, Dave's got a good um, like Sergeant Slaughter mustache um, when he when he had to do it once upon a time when he lost a bet. Um, I think if we had a mustache contest, it would be a, a a runaway between Ben and Heath, and then we'd have to just let the uh, the audience decide. I don't think Adam. <laughs> and grow a can uh, grow a good mustache. So um, he can draw
4: one though. He can draw one very nicely.
2: On he, his face. he can he can probably draw. One. Well, this is fun, guys. Uh, hope everybody has a good weekend. We'll be back on Monday with another mock draft Monday. I'm again. I'm not sure which draft we will review. Probably the Dynasty startup. Whenever Adam is not in a mock draft, you never know which direction he's going to go and choosing which mock we're going to review. But uh, we'll probably just let Ben Tracker decide that and uh, make it easy for all of us. So thank you guys for a great show. Thanks everybody for listening. And uh, gotta go. Bye.